This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Nerd Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and with me today are Natalie and James to talk about a 0-0 draw at Old Trafford in the Premier League on Saturday. Was it Saturday? Yes, it was Saturday. I lost, lost track of my day somewhere. Um, I don't think any of us expected us to, to get anything at, at Old Trafford on Saturday. Natalie, a fantastic result, although um, it's fair to say we were under pressure for quite a lot of the match. Yeah, you could say that a little bit, couldn't you? I think once again, we've been faced post-match with um, a significant number of stats and match reports, which basically tell us that we had our backs to the wall for <laughs> most of that game. Um, I think I think I read somewhere that it, Tom Heaton faced the, a record number of saves in any Premier League game since Opta Records began. Something like, was it 37 or 32? I, I don't remember which one it was. It was but... 37 shots United had, which yeah, is he, like a lot. Just unbelievable. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that, that we uh, we had to defend very well, but absolutely fantastic result. What a great place to get your first point away from home this season. And it just, I think it's going to give the boys a massive boost of confidence after three pretty horror shows on the road. And, and you, you know, you could forgive them for having a little bit of, of self doubt creeping into their performances when they've been hammered, you know, conceded three goals in three away games. But, you know, what a performance. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the key, isn't it? We've gone to Manchester United. Okay, it's not the same as as getting a point at United five, six years ago when they were dominant, but it's it's still a massive achievement and we should now have that belief and confidence that we can go and get results at, at pretty much any ground in the Premier League. Um, James, we talked about Andre Graham, whether he'd be back in the side. Dash brought him back, went back to four four two. Um Were you surprised? How do you think uh, it worked out? Gray seemed a little bit rusty to me, which is understandable when he's not played for six weeks. Um, I don't think it was a surprise. You know, obviously he's um, our best striker, probably by some way. Um, so to see him back in the side, it wasn't unexpected. Maybe at United, though, I think it's interesting to bring him back because we knew we'd be under the cosh. So, it, you know, they could have been an advantage to play in five in midfield. But, um, you know, you, you need to have a player like that in team. I, I see the logic is that he's the type of player that could get one chance and could score it. Um and you know, if you could have nicked that kind of result, Old Trafford, 
well, you know, a draw already felt like a win, particularly when we faced so many shots. So that would have been you know, incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd agree he looked a bit rusty. And uh, hopefully, you know, in the next couple of games, we'll get to see him uh, show himself a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we talked about him being hungry. and He looked hungry. Just a couple of moments where he didn't seem quite as sharp as he could have been. But that's understandable. He's not played four games six weeks without being on the pitch. So um, the moment I think when he was he was clear and Luke Shaw caught him, I was a bit surprised at that because you don't often see anyone catching Andre Gray. Luke Shaw's quick, but I was still a bit surprised that he got caught up there, and that was one of our clearest openings. So that was a, a little bit disappointing. Um, so Gray back in the team, Natalie and Ashley Barnes back in the squad. I'm sure he enjoyed playing in front of Jose Mourinho, even though he'd been sent off by then. But with Gray and Barnes back, suddenly we've got loads of striking options. Yeah, it definitely feels a little bit more comfortable than it did a few weeks ago, didn't it? I think on a few a few weeks ago on the podcast, we were getting a little bit nervous about our lack of, of striking options, especially as we weren't creating a huge amount of chances in the games we were playing. Um, I'm really pleased to see Barnes back, actually. And I th- it kind of came as a bit of a surprise because it felt like he was still absolutely miles away and we weren't getting any positive updates from the club as to when he was due back. And then all of a sudden we were hearing reports that they were putting together um, a, a, a development squad game for him to play and he played 90 minutes, came through it absolutely fine and scored. And then suddenly he doesn't just make the bench, but he makes the game as well on Saturday. So massive bonus having Barnes there. And, you know, if we if we just go back to last week's podcast, we were we made the point last week that we were missing that fiery attitude that, that Barnes has. And, you know, sometimes, you, especially when you're in a battle, you need that fire in, in a player's belly to really get in, in players' faces and really hassle defenders and just make a nuisance of yourself. And Barnes absolutely brings that. Um, so I was delighted to see him. And, and like you say, we've now got Gray, Vokes, Barnes and Bamford as well. So we're suddenly looking a little bit rosier up front. And we need that because if there's one criticism we've been faced re- with recently is our lack of firing power. So hopefully that will change. Bamford, that, that name doesn't ring any bells. Bamford, no. <laughs> Apparently, there is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think Barnes will start some games, actually. I don't think he's just going to be cover for Graham Volks. I think there will be some games where he starts in place of one one of the two. It'll be interesting to see um, how Dash makes it up. I don't think it'll just be Graham Volks all the time. Um Barnes, one moment, he, he gave the ball away, James, on the edge of his own box. The ball came to Zlatan Ibrahimovic on the volley. Look, for all the world, a goal. We haven't really mentioned him yet, but Tom Heaton made one of the best saves you'll ever see, and that's not even hyperbolic. Incredible. And then he manages to shake off the injury. Which yeah, I'm... he said it nearly broke his arm, and it was understandable. He really hammered it. He hit that hard and from really short range. Uh just to have stopped it in the first place is uh, you know, nothing short of miraculous. And then to, to shake off the potential injury at the end. Um, he just had, he had an incredible game, didn't he? And I think if you look at the way he's playing at the moment, he's probably the, the best English goalkeeper in the Premier League. Um, I'm not sure there's even anything to debate anymore. You know, it, you could say that him having faced the, uh, you know, had made the most saves, having the best, save percentage, save the most shots from in the box, save the most shots from out of the box. He's down to us maybe being a bit leakier than uh, a lot of other teams are, but he's still facing a, a lot of high-quality shots and stopping them. And I think that counts for uh, just as much as you know someone keeping clean sheets behind a defence that doesn't let many people get chances. 
Yeah, I think um, obviously it's a different skill, isn't it? Being a goalkeeper where you are very, very busy and being a goalkeeper for a top side where you only maybe have to make one save and then it's the concentration and being able to have the reflexes to do that. But yeah, the number of sa- the sheer number of saves he made on Saturday plus the quality of some of them really marked him out as a as a top top class performance. I gave him a ten in my ratings and I I can't see what else he could have done to get a ten other than like score a goal. <laughs> we got to the point where it was like he might just clear a cl- kick the ball out of his hands and he might just bounce over the hair and go in it, everything was going for Tom Higgins. Um Natalie, I just wonder if because he's been so busy, he's just getting more confident with every save he makes. He, he seems unbeatable at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Jamie. You know, you often talk about um, you know players being on on a you know positive mental attitude, really. And I think Keaton's very much in that frame of mind. So many times last season, he was hardly called upon in games. And whilst he was always mentally sharp and he was always there when called upon, he spent so much of last season going a good. 60, 70 minutes of a game completely with nothing to do. Um, That's really not the case this season. And he's finding himself called upon all the time and being very, very active in games. But actually, that's... That's not a problem for Heaton, and that's part of his strength. He he loves he loves being within his his back four. You know he he likes playing in a role where he's constantly passing the ball between them, and he's used as a fifth defender. You often see them, you know, using him and just passing the ball back, you know, before they play it back out midfield as well. So I think he he relishes that role, and he he much prefers it. He seems to be much more comfortable when he's active in a game. Yeah, I think. Um... It was the same for, for Heaton, wasn't it? Before he signed for us, he had a season where he got relegated with Bristol City. He'd been very busy, made a lot of saves, even though the team had conceded a lot of goals. And He does seem to be one of those goalkeepers that thrives on being really, really busy. Um, what was interesting about Saturday's game, though, James, you normally think, when, when you allow 37 shots on goal, it normally suggests that you haven't defended well, but... I feel like we did defend really well. Like a lot of the shots were were from distance. United ran out of ideas at times. We're just shooting from a long way out, and I I feel like Keane and me did very very well. Me in particular had a fantastic game. It's really strange that me and Keane played well, but the stats show that we got absolutely hammered. Yeah, I, I think uh, in me's case as well. That's two really good performances on the trot. Obviously. I can't, uh, from the week before, I can't really advocate saying he had Lukaku in his pocket since letting Lukaku go was how they scored. But apart from that, he was outstanding. Um, And this week, he was outstanding again. I think our problem and the reason we're giving up so many shots is more that, you know, we defend pretty well, but we never get out and and keep the danger away for any prolonged period. So teams are coming back at us again. And though we limit them to sort of more distant shots and, and maybe keeping the quality chances to a minimum, you know, as much of a minimum as you can when you're conceding 30 push shots in a game. Um, the, the the issue really is that we're, we're not really getting hold of the ball in the midfield and keeping hold of it for any length of time and as a result, teams just come back at us. Yeah, I think that's fair. It, I think that's one of the problems with 4 4 2. There are a few times, like, I've seen some quite negative comments by Jeff Hendrick on Saturday. And, um, I thought he was fine. Like, he wasn't in the game a lot, but when you're in a four-man midfield against a five-man midfield, 
uh, at Old Trafford where they're going to dominate the ball anyway. It's not surprised that Hendrik hardly touched the ball positionally. I felt like he was all right. Um, but yeah, Hendrik and Marnie, they didn't see a lot of the ball. Burnley as a whole didn't see a lot of the ball. Um, but I don't think we really used it that well. I think that's fair to say. A couple of moments, like Goodmanson had some crossing chances, didn't put good enough balls in really when you're only getting half a dozen chances to get balls in the box. You really need to make those opportunities count. I don't feel like we really did that. And we were quite fortunate anyway. We talked about this last week, didn't we, on the talking about the Everton game, how we've been quite fortunate to win the game. You say we were quite fortunate to get a point at Old Trafford. Maybe the luck is evening out from the start of the season, but I don't think that takes anything away from from the braveness and the wholeheartedness of, of the way Burnley played. Defensively, Natalie, they just put everything into that game. It would have been so cruel if there'd have been an Arsenal-esque late goal, or even if Ibrahimovic had scored the, the late chance that Pogba put on a plate for him. Yeah, it really would have done, and... and... You you can't underestimate the psychological impact that a result like this will have on that defence because it's no surprise to anybody that they're being called on more than anybody else in the team at the moment. You know there are pressure on this, there is pressure on the strikers to try and get some goals in there to go and win games, and obviously we have got um, a pressure from midfield to try and and battle against some of much better sides than us in this division. But when you're when you're a team like Burnley in this league and you're trying your best to just survive in it and just stay up for another season, you're always going to face a lot of of, of shots and you're always going to you know have your defenders called upon to really really pull a massive game out of the bag. And so far, our guys have done that. Um, I'm really worried about the impact of the Arsenal game. I think I said at the time that I worried I worried that there was an international break straight after it as well and that they would have time to stew on it. But it doesn't seem to have bothered them at all. They, they seem to be just... They seem to have really settled into this division and they seem to just be just getting on with their jobs. And there's, there's no frills with them. There's no airs and graces. There's no tantrums. There's no feeling sorry for themselves when they do get beat. They're just getting on with it. And, you know, you're talking about a defence here who have been largely fantastic at home and, and brilliant away on Saturday. But the other three games we've played away from home, they've really, you know, they've let three goals in in each of them games. So you can imagine a lot of pressure on them. Um, but yeah, you know they're playing fantastically well, and and I think this will will really give them um, a lot of momentum to to carry on now. Yeah, I think Stephen Defoe talked in in an interview before the United game about how how united the dressing room is, and all right, a lot of people say similar things, but it's something that players always seem to mention about Sean Dyche's team that they are the united, and everyone fights for each other. There's no cliques in the the dressing room. There's no like little gangs or anything. Everyone's together, and I think that has to be the case when we're going to be up against it. That seems to be really filtering through. And um, talking about talking about Defoe, James, that's two games we've been without him, and we've got four points for someone who seemed like uh, a cornerstone of the team, and at times has seemed like a class above. It's very reassuring that we've been able to get results without him. Excellent that we've been able to, to cope with that. You know, he's looked like um, he's looked like the spark sort of in the team previously. Um, he's been key to us uh, creating, and you know, I think we're sort of looking at it when he got injured that that could be it. We could be we could be out if uh, you know out of the running to stay up if he's out for any length of time. We've done pretty well without him, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. 
I mean, he's not meant to be out long term, is it? It was meant to be sort of one, two games. So, you know, he could be in contention again for the weekend. Is Dash going to put him back in? I mean, do you change the team that played that well? Or is it like Andre Gray? You're talking about someone who's, you know, a little bit of a different class to, to the other players in the side. And as a result, you need to bring him back in because you don't want to miss out on his creativity. I think it will be interesting. Obviously, we've played a few games with five in midfield that gives the four a bit more, a bit more license maybe to get forward. Although Hendrick's been the more advanced of the of the three, and obviously the three into two doesn't go. So you would assume that if we're going to play four four two, which I think we probably will for for most games, that it's going to be Hendrick and four, and maybe Marnie Marnie sits out. Um, Natalie, what's your thoughts on that? Defoe, if he's back on, on Saturday, do you think he comes straight back into the team? Or do you think maybe he goes back to four five one to to accommodate him? Or would it be Dean Marnie or Jeff Henrik missed out? What do, what do you think might happen in that area? Because Defoe, by all the signs, it might well be back for Saturday. Um, oh, God, this is really hard. Um there's a there's a part of me that just kind of thinks you absolutely have to put Defoe back in the side. He is such a class player and we know how good that team looks and the attacking options that he brings when he's in that squad so I, I kind of feel like we have to play him but then if we play him I then want to play the four-five-one because that's the role that he really shone in and that's how well we were doing but then you look at that and you think well is there then a role for Gray in that four-five-one? and are we going to go back to dropping Gray and putting Fox back in this is such don't get me wrong it's a very happy problem to have but this is a real squad problem that we've suddenly found ourselves in you know at the beginning of the season we were whinging a little bit about squad depth and lack of options and and worrying about how we were going to change games when we were um, struggling a little bit and now all of a sudden it feels like we've got some real dilemmas and uh, this is terribly unsightful (laughs) from a podcast opinion point unsightful insightful (laughs) Uninsightful. Uninsightful. I'm going to make up some new words here right now live on the Never podcast. Uninsightful. This isn't particularly very insightful analysis on the podcast, but I don't know what he's going to do. I feel like... Right. Do you know what I was thinking about this this week when I was um, trying to think about the United game? I wonder, and please feel free to disagree, which I'm sure you will if you don't, I'm not 100% sure that Deitch knows what to do about Andre Gray in the Premier League. I think that may be, for me, a problem that we have. I think Deitch wants to, can see the benefit of a 4-5-1 uh, because it's worked, and it's worked really well. But I think he's got a real problem that he thinks that his goals are going to come from Andre and he doesn't want to drop him because of how much he cost and what a proven goal scorer he is. However, he doesn't know what to do with him in the Premier League, and I think that comes to the whole crux of our problem. Maybe. I don't think it's got anything to do with, with how much it costs. I think it's more just that he's the most reliable goal scorer we've got, and if we're going to stay up, we probably need someone to score maybe 10 goals minimum, and he's probably the closest. Votes has got three already, hasn't he? But you'd say if, if one of the players is going to get 10, it'd probably be great. Um, yeah, it is going to be a tough one, I think. Dash wants to play two up front. He keeps saying that he wants to play two up front, but it's not always going to be suitable. I was quite surprised. I wanted him to play 4-4-2 at Old Trafford and really have a go, but I was quite surprised that he did it. But he, he does that. He surprises us sometimes. He's played, he played, remember in the Premier League last time when he had three up front, he played Barnes on the left wing, so 
he's got options and it, it will be interesting to see what he does way. I love that free role that Barnes had I, I loved that it was good. I wonder if we'll see him play that role when he's fully fit and when yeah. he's back I wonder if there'll be some games maybe at home where he wants to really get on the front foot and decides to put Barnes in off off the left maybe but effectively yeah. a front three You're right. I think that was a really good option for us um, a, a couple of controversial incidents that we should probably touch on um Mourinho sent to the stands presumably for something he said after Darmian went down in the box under a tackle from Flanagan who had just come on for Ward who was injured again if that all makes sense um, James it looked like it was pretty much on the line Darmian went down a bit extravagantly Flanagan probably touched him a bit but it would have been harsh wouldn't it that one I think the referee probably got it right yeah it's definitely not penalty. <laughs> nothing else to add just definitely not penalty <laughs> <laughs> take some time to think about it Birdie won't you Fair welcome back <laughs> yeah, and the other one <laughs> just the switch I've missed, I've missed this. Birdie's cutting some, edge analysis <laughs> some people have suggested Barnes could have had a penalty for a push in the back have you seen that one again what do you think of that one yeah also I mean, not a penalty you've, you've seen him given haven't you but probably not a penalty I mean, it, it doesn't help either that I think Barnes has a, a little bit of a reputation with referees, maybe for you know for for trying to buy stuff. You know, he, yeah, he does he does go down quite easily. It turns out. Uh, I don't know if he's high enough profile to have a reputation yeah, for I've, it, but yeah, it's just I've, I've never I've never seen him dive. But I've just he, he just he he doesn't play he's his very way. Very animated, uh, isn't he? When he when uh, he yeah. makes a big fuss in the in the uh, in the area when he, he, he yeah, sells he, it. I he think makes the more stuff. Anyway. He makes the most of contact. Yeah. But what did you make of the the Darmy and Flanagan one, Natalie? Did you think we're maybe a bit lucky? To get... It's the sort of penalty that you see given for mm. big teams all the time. Yeah, I I didn't think it was a penalty at all. Um, and I I actually have doubts whether it was in the area. To be honest, it it looked to, to yeah, me like I think it was probably outside. just outside. But yeah. if it's on the line, it is inside. Yeah, but I, it looked to me like it wasn't in the area. But I was quite surprised watching match of the day. And I think. Um, you know, they split the panel as well on on match of the day. And I I just can't, it's one of those where I I always look at a penalty and I think, how would I feel if that was, I would want that to be awarded for us and how would I feel if it was going against us? And it was one of those where if you, I felt if it had been awarded against you, you'd think it was the, such a harsh penalty decision. So I thought, so I said to myself, well, how would I feel if that was us? And And I remember thinking, if we'd won that penalty, I would be laughing and thinking, wow, what an absolute gift. And that usually is a decent sign that it's just not a penalty. Yeah. I, can't, I can't see it was. Yeah, I think the only thing I had going for it was that Flanagan had left his leg out. But I think that was just just that he'd just come on and was still adapting to the game. He'd literally been on the pitch a couple of minutes, I think, when that happened. And it's it's always tough to come on in a, in a game like that when you're under the cosh, but particularly so close to half time you're probably never expecting to come on in that situation so I think it was partly just that when he stuck his leg out but he seemed to be withdrawing he stuck his leg out and then he was bringing it away when Darmian fell over so it was like <laughs> you, you can't just have a penalty because there was a leg and you decided to run into it um, moving on from from um, the penalty incidents themselves then Mourinho sent to the stands. It, it wasn't clear what he'd said, but it was obviously unhappy about that. I'm sure a lot of Burnley fans, James, will be delighted to see Mourinho getting a bit of a comeuppance. Maybe it looks like he's going to get an FA charge for whatever it was he said to Mark Kleinberg. Especially after the, the Chelsea game, which was all Barnes thing. 
potentially. I think he did redeem himself a little after the game, though, didn't he? Apparently, he went into the Burnley dressing room and shook the hand of every Burnley player. Yeah, I, I saw that story. I was like, isn't that just normal? Like, if he hadn't been sent off, he could have done that on the pitch at full time, like managers I think do. It's a bit unusual for a manager to shake every hand of the opposition. That's very Mourinho, though, isn't it? It's, it's so. He, he, he doesn't do things like. He, Everything's calculated. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's it kind of feels like. It, it just feels very false, does that? And the whole thing that he had to go through this. I mean, it's, it's a very nice gesture, but it feels like it was an over the top gesture. It feels very Mourinho. It feels like he wanted to get that story in the press. I don't know. I don't know. It just felt very contrived for me. Uh, someone, had to, someone had to choose to write about it, didn't it? It happened behind closed doors. So I'm not sure where they got it from. I really. I actually quite like Mourinho as a character. I think he's. Uh, more entertaining than uh, the, the boring managers. I don't. But, I hate him. Uh, I, I, have a I think rule he's just getting a bit stale. Like, all, all his old tricks, like, they're just a bit obvious and predicted. Like, I have a general like rule to not listen to any manager's pre-match comments because they all just say a lot of nothing. Uh, so at least Mourinho makes it slightly entertaining. But, yeah, uh, it's all mind games, isn't it? I, I, I think we gave him, obviously, a lesson in uh, the classic Mourinho part of the bus. Um <laughs> And he, he was probably frustrated both by that and obviously he, he felt decisions didn't go his way. And, um, I can imagine in the heat of the moment as a, a, a manager, it probably you feel a little bit different than, than we do looking at it after the game. I mean, in some ways, it's good to see a manager who uh, you know really shows his emotion. Um, he's not particularly good at keeping it in check on the sidelines. Um, and I, I think I'd rather see him get sent to the stands for giving the ref too much stick than, you know, some of those managers just sort of sit on the bench and never seem to get up in the technical area. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. I think with Mourinho, it just seems a bit like, feels like he's going through the motions a bit this season. Like, the interview about living in the hotel was quite interesting. He's obviously struggling a bit, adapting to the situation and not having his family around it. Like, cry me a river and all that multi-millionaire has to live in a hotel, but it must be quite weird to, to have no... There's no sort of release when you're in such a high-pressure job and then you go home and it's just a hotel room and you're on your own. It, it must be quite weird. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like. I don't think he's coming to the best situation. Either. Manchester United, in my opinion, have been mismanaged sort of way back now into the last couple of years of Ferguson. I think you know when they last won the title under Ferguson, if you look at that team, was it a, should it have been a title-winning side? Definitely not. I think it was more indicative of... Uh, you know, other teams not performing well enough, uh, being the reason yeah. you're not won that title. Yeah, we had, we had a chat about that last week on on the podcast last week actually, Bernie. We made that same point. It's really interesting that you agree with us actually, and that this United side, by their standards, has been under par for a long time now. And like you say, Ferguson just managed to drag them through those last couple of seasons before he retired. So yeah, I, I don't think that this side's particularly improved, even with the the managers that they've had. And all the money they've spent as well. Yeah, that's the problem. They're, they're trying to go about fixing it the wrong way. You know, Manchester United of old, you know, how many big money signings did they make? It, it wasn't a huge amount, and the ones that they did make tended to not even work out. I mean, everyone remembers Veron, obviously. It was you know, a massive fee, and he just never adapted to, to British football. Um, they tended to be more like players they nurtured, and uh, I think they've gone to... You know, try and get quick fixes. Spent a lot of money, and they've not necessarily brought people in that the right fit. You know, I know we talk a lot about Burnley having little money and not spending a lot, and uh, even Dash being reluctant to spend 
what he has available because he wants to pick the right players. Um, but we do see the benefit of making sure the dressing room's the right fit. Whereas Manchester United have just sort of picked people off a shelf and you know spent extortionate amounts of money, but they've not made sure that there's going to be a you know a cohesive team at the end of it. It is interesting, Ibrahimovic in particular, obviously not going to be there for, for a long time. As soon as I signed him, I was like, isn't he just going to be in, in Rashford's way? Like, you've got one of the best young strikers in Europe and you've just bought an old man who's going to play instead. Um, they've gone through a lot of young players recently as well. They've got like a glimpse of a chance and look good and then they've not been sticking with them. And obviously long term, you, you've got to give young players chances. That's yeah. Mourinho though, isn't it? He, he puts a, a lot of... Well, it wasn't just it was Van Gaal as well. Yeah. But, you know, there was, there was players there. But interesting, I thought, actually, to see how crucial one matter is at the moment to Mourinho's side after he sold him at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, he's clearly playing a bit of a different different, um, you know, style at United because at Chelsea, I think his complaint was that he doesn't track back enough. Um, but it's, it's just, I thought that's interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, one last thing on the, the game then, I don't think we mentioned, Ander Herrera's red card, Natalie, two tackles on Dean Marnie, the second one maybe a bit unlucky, it seemed like he slipped, but he still didn't get the ball and was late, so could he have that, can he have complaints really about getting sent off? Um, it felt very harsh and I did actually have some sympathy for him and I think... This for me, I know United fans are going mental about Klattenberg's performance and saying that he was a, in a Burnley shirt practically. I, I think he could have exercised a little bit of common sense and maybe given him sort of like a final warning. You know, I, it was it was for me it was so obviously not an intentional foul. He slipped when he was going into him, and I I just I it wasn't as enough for me. I think it, I think it was pretty harsh. Um, I. I, I, I understand your your argument the other way, Jamie, and that you know he didn't get the ball. And when you're going to make those tackles, when you're already on a yellow card, you're always going to leave yourself exposed and vulnerable to a second yellow and a sending off. But it 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 was so obviously a slip. It just it just felt a little bit harsh. But that was that for me was probably the only decision that I think Clattenburg could be questioned for. You do have to sympathise with the lad a little, but you know you're it's a yellow card offence. Uh, I mean. In uh, in yeah. hockey, you, you get a penalty for say like having a high stick and catching someone in the face. They say it doesn't matter if there's intent. You know, it was, you need to look after your stick. And I think if you're going to charge around like that, you need to make sure your footing's good and you're not going to slip. Um, you know, particularly when the ball's completely gone. So yeah. it, it you, do, a, you, you see players booked for for slipping and catching people right. or so losing their balance. Like it's it's bad luck. Rather Matt than Alton was booked. Than I think, was it first game of the season? For the city, he slipped and and brought someone down, but it's just the way it is, you know. You can see it's harsh, and you know, nine times out of ten, if that happens, the player's probably not already on a yellow and he doesn't get sent off, and it's no big deal. No one's talking about it. Um, it's just unfortunate for him, but you know, Mark Clattenburg had no choice. I, I think, you know, if he'd let him off, people would be thinking he was a soft touch, and that you know, he doesn't he doesn't card people when when they should. Maybe, yeah. I think um, the only very, very, very minor gripe I had about our performance was that we didn't really have a goal after the red card. I think that's probably as good an opportunity as you're going to get to win at Old Trafford, playing against 10 men. At that point, they were a bit out of ideas. 
the substitutions didn't seem to make any difference. But we didn't really put them under any pressure. It sounds ridiculous to complain, Natalie, after you've drawn nil-nil at Man United, but could we have had a bit more ambition in that last 20 minutes against 10 men? This is certainly the criticism that's been placed on Burnley. It is nitpicking. It is nitpicking, and I think... ah, Do you know what I feel about this? We talk a lot about Burnley's restrictions and the lack of competition financially and how essentially we are just in this league to try and um, get to 17th just for one season and try and stay up so we can have a consecutive game in the Premier League. We often get quite wound up as Burnley fans when we are slightly, um, what's the word I'm looking for, patronised, I guess, a little bit in the press about how we're just here making up numbers and people expect us to get relegated. So we don't like that when that happens. And we say, you know, we, we earned our place in the Premier League and we won the championship last season and we are here to stay. So if we're going to take that stance and we're going to get offended when we are belittled by our lack of ambition in places, we shouldn't then whinge when media outlets or pundits or or any other sets of fans criticise us for not being more ambitious when we have an opportunity like we did away at Old Trafford against 10 men to try and go for the win. Now, I understand why they didn't and I understand that they were protecting a point because it's a bonus point away from home. But if you do have serious ambition to try and stay in this league, three points would have been a massive result to get and a real bonus to try and keep our campaign going so I I don't think you can complain that some criticism was heaped on us I think we should have gone and tried to get that win you know you've got you're just not pressing the ball forward enough and you've got 10 men and you've got a team who are already getting frustrated because they're not being you know from not from one to trying they they can't see the ball going the back of the net so to be honest I think I think we should accept that there is going to be some criticism going our way and possibly quite rightly yeah I think just looking back at the Everton game, we scored right at the end because we'd held on. It looked like it was going to be a draw. Everton looked like they'd settled for a draw. And we had one real crack at it and scored. And we just didn't seem to do that all the time. I know like, it's not as easy as just try to score. Like You can't just, we're going to score a goal now and then it happens. But it didn't really feel like we were trying to score a goal. It's, it's the only like tiny little thing. I would say um, we could have done better. But then on the flip side, if we had gone a bit gung-ho at the end and got caught and conceded, people would be saying, well, they've thrown away a point. What have they done that for? That point could yeah, be crucial. Yeah, you can't so, win, can you? It's really... Yeah, it is difficult, but uh, there's got to be a balance, I think. I think maybe we could have been a teeny little bit more ambitious in our approach and really had a go. Because I think the three points were potentially there. I think United had pretty much run out of ideas by the last 10 minutes um, moving on from the game then we'll talk about Sean Dyche's 4 year anniversary and preview Palace a bit more towards the end of the podcast but it's that time of the show when we go over to Natalie for Tweet of the Week, presumably this week lots and lots of choice Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week Indeed 
<laughs> a lot of choice. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Burnley fans, my time oh, is full keep of going. Joy. Indeed, 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 indeed. <laughs> I'm very, very, very happy this week to troll through the timelines of all of your tweets and all of the indeed. hashtags that we use. Um, there was literally only going to be one possible tweet of the week this week, and it had to be about our absolute superstar captain, the brick wall in our defence, the maestro that is Tom Heaton. And there was an absolute bucket load of of tweets, sorry, about Tom Heaton that we could have used. The one we decided on was from AJC, who is Ginger Claret. And he said, uh, basically, essentially, after the game, um, Burnley and Tom Heaton and United were all trending because it was pretty much the, the news story of the day. And Ginger Claret says... Heat and trending with 32,000 tweets, equal to the number of saves he's made this season. Hashtag Twitter Clarets. So well done, AJC. That won my tweet of the week. Good choice. Similar to the um, me Adelikaku in his pocket tweets last year, last week. I didn't like all the had someone had Ibrahimovic in his pocket when he had about 16 shots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like the Heaton could have saved the dinosaurs. That was rubbish. I think we also had our most popular ever tweet, which was a Heaton one. So thanks to Tom Heaton for all the numbers we did on Twitter over the weekend. Um, I think we did a moment as well about the game that you can check out if you are on Twitter. That'll be at No Name Evernet. And the art that you've probably seen already for this week's podcast is obviously Heaton related. And thanks to our animator artist man rick who does that for us because sometimes i forget to thank him so i'll do it now while i remember <laughs> moving on then the big anniversary of this week was four years for sean dyche as burnley manager i think that was on sunday was it and it's got to be an achievement just the last four years these days james there's only wenger and Howe, i think in the premier league that have been at their clubs that long and the stability that we've got from dyche is so crucially, it underpins all the success that we've had in the last few years. Yeah, and and you mentioned how, and I think how unusual must it be for two of the the top sort of three longer serving managers to have come from the same transaction? Yeah, one replaced the other. It is very odd. Yeah, it's a long time, and uh, you know, I think part of it is well, you've got to look at the way that. You know, we gave him time to get us back up. Obviously, he did it in one season, but a lot of teams don't necessarily do that. So you've got to give a little bit of credit, I think, to the board for sort of sticking with the man and uh, not doing anything knee-jerk. And, you know, obviously, it's for the fans to uh, give him a chance at first. When I remember, obviously, that first half a season he was here. I mean, if you'd asked fans then, would he be here four years later? I don't think he would have got many positive responses, would you? Um, but he's done an absolutely fantastic job, and hopefully, you know, he can keep us up. And um, you know, a couple more seasons. I mean, I, I won't want him to to stay forever because I think that if you've seen where that's happened elsewhere, and teams become so reliant on one style, um, you know, particularly at size like Bolton, and then they they just absolutely collapse. And I think he's you know he's got bigger things in him than uh, than Birmingham in the future. But for now. I think we can uh, just enjoy all the good stuff he's brought for us and uh, hope we maybe get another three or four years out of him still. Yeah, that sticky spell, it was the only really time that we've had in the four years when there's been been real criticism of Dash. There's always been little things, the regular bugbears about using substitutions and 
people like me go on about him being a bit inflexible tactically, but generally the support for Dyche has been overwhelming for four years now. It's so rare to see that. Like Even a manager like Wenger, there's massive pockets of Arsenal fans that have wanted rid of him for years. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Dyche is, is massively popular with Burnley fans. Yeah, he's, he's hugely popular. And he's, he's in one of those amazing situations where the, the pressure's off him as a, as a manager because even if Burnley get relegated this season and we don't survive in the Premier League, he's, he's not going to lose his job. You know, and and the board will expect him to go again, and it feels like it's a really good match. And I like the fact that he's got long term plans with the club, and I like the fact that that sits with with what the board wants as well. And we see so often, especially in in the top flight as well, we see managers losing their jobs for the littlest of things. It feels like these days, and and Daesh has a stability with us that just allows him to the freedom to go ahead and perform to the best of his ability. It's, it's fantastic put you on the spot a bit but any particular highlights from the last four years dash specific highlights oh god <laughs> um i there's a few things really i think i really liked the last um the last season when we got promoted uh, before we won the championship and he he just talked about just getting a coffee and going home and it's just little things like that that i like about dash is he just he keeps everything very grounded in his very... He seems to fit well with, with Burnley culture. And I know he, he found it a little bit strange when he first came here, but it's just it's just the little things, you know. Like he, he was under pressure when he first came here and he just sort of said, well, I'll just ride it and, and you know, I'll, I'll be fine. And I like the fact that when we're going well, he, he, he reminds us that, you know, it wasn't always like this at the beginning and we had to work at it together. And then, you know, he just celebrates his second promotion by just grabbing a cup of coffee and driving home. It's it's the it's the little insights that I like, that his highlights for me, the, the bits that remind us that he's, he's very grounded and he's very down to earth and he doesn't let all of this furore get the better of him. He, he does seem to maybe not have... A, a connection because he, he doesn't have like the history with the club that say a former player would but he certainly understands the connection between the town and the club and the fans in the club and I think that's more the case for Dash than a couple of the managers we've had um, recently I thought that was probably a criticism that was made of Eddie Howe for example that he didn't really grasp what Burnley was all about whereas Dash gets that it's all about scrapping and battling and getting the most out of everything you've got rather than trying to be a bit too clever on the ball and stuff like that. I just think Dash fits the club really well in that way. And looking ahead then to Saturday's game, Crystal Palace, the visitors to Turf Moor on Saturday. Two mid-table sides at the moment, James, but in reality this is the sort of home game that we have to be targeting as an opportunity to get points. Yeah, no, I think any home game really is where we need to look at trying to pick up points and um, Palace are an interesting side uh, that you know I think they've, they're a better side than they're showing at the moment but um, with the way we've played at home I'm, I'm pretty confident we can uh, we can get all three points um, but I think home games are key and I think for the next sort of couple of home games after this and maybe Obviously, a little bit tougher. City next, and then Bournemouth, who are you know doing reasonably well. So, the way Palace are playing at the moment, I think this is probably going to have best opportunity to get three points at home. You know, until we're into December. So, 
That's a positive. Well, <laughs> I've seen four. You shouldn't imagine when I, I was uh, I was looking at the fixtures then, and the hope was draining out of me as I saw how long it was till we had the next home game. Do you know what? While you were away on holiday, Bird, did you get an email in from tough. somebody saying that uh, we needed more diverse opinions on the podcast? This is what happens when you're not here. <laughs> I've always said that I am the uh, the balanced opinion generator. <laughs> Oh Can everyone God. please write in and <laughs> get rid of James because he's yeah. not balanced at all. People miss me. <laughs> you don't mention by name. We missed you, Bernie. Good to have you back. Please email in and speak tell me on behalf of everyone. <laughs> Natalie, Palace coming to the turf. They conceded four against Liverpool at the weekend, but Liverpool are scoring a lot of goals, so I don't know how much you can read into that, but they obviously want to bounce back from that heavy heavy defeat, I suppose you could call it a heavy defeat at home, but they're quite unpredictable Palace, you never know really what to expect from them. Yeah, that's a really good point actually, I watched the the game on Saturday and I actually was genuinely impressed by Palace and I was a little bit worried when I was watching them, um, I don't think the scoreline particularly reflected what they offered to the game it's an interesting one because pre where we are now, I think if you beginning of the season, when we looked at these opening games, maybe between now and Christmas, you'd look at this and you'd think, oh, that's a game we really want to to get some points from, but oh, we're probably not going to do. And it's it, it almost felt a little bit defeatist to think we're not going to get anything from Palace at home because they're a good side and they've been in, in the Premier League for a few seasons now. So, But now, now with the results that we've had and the way that we're playing, actually, I, I don't think we've got anything to fear. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we won and we won quite comfortably. It does depend on which Palace side turns up. I agree with you. But we've just beaten, you know, we've just beaten Everton at home. We were a better side on paper, certainly, than Palace are. We've got a fantastic point away at Old Trafford. So, you know... Confidence will be high and, and the boys will be really looking to get some more points on the board. It feels to me like they're really up for, for it this season. They, they don't believe that they're going to go down. And I've, I've got a really good feeling about Saturday. I think they're going to do well. It's very confusing. <laughs> Just like really thrown me off by... Uh, <laughs> My positivity. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to your prediction later. I, <laughs> I was talking to someone else about um, how we're doing generally early. And I agree. Like It feels like we are... like having a really good go at it this time. Obviously, we started much better than last time in particular, where it took us 10 goals to get a win, and you're always up against it after that, whereas we've got a bit of positive momentum behind us now. The home form is obviously going to be crucial. We've beaten Liverpool at home, we've beaten Everton at home. Really unlucky not to get anything against Arsenal. If we got the point we deserved against Arsenal, we'd be unbeaten at home since the first week of the season against Swansea. So we've got lots of good results behind us. I don't think Palace have got really anything for us to fear. They've got some good players, but so have we. Hopefully the four will be fit and available. I think there's a, a lot of reasons to think we can get something from this game. I think a point would be all right, but I think we should really be trying to get all three here. I think it's very winnable. Um, let's round off on predictions as always then. James, you get to go first. Um, I'm going to predict 3-0, uh, Andre Gray hat-trick. Yes. Bet your houses on it, guys. It's back. Yes. <laughs> Don't actually bet your house on it. <laughs> Gamble responsibly. Gamble responsibly. Please do not write in and say, I bet my house on it. Now I'm homeless because we'll feel no, bad, but not no, be no, able to help. in no way responsible for any homes that are repossessed as a result of betting your house on it. Bring your win with Andre Gray Hattrick. We are going to put that small print 
on the podcast. So please do not yeah. complain if it doesn't happen. Play, but all three of us are blatantly putting that bet on, on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if it does come in, you always like fifty percent of the winnings. So just keep that in mind as well. Natalie, your prediction? Well, I think we've got well. to carry on. You know, I've been over the last couple of weeks now. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've I dropped reverse psychology to the bench to, to reassess its form, and you know, we've changed turnstiles. And I predicted last week again that we would win, and we got a draw. We didn't lose, so I'm going to stick with it. I am sticking with turnstile twenty eight. I will enter the game on Saturday through that turnstile, and I am going to predict a. Very, very, very happy and very buoyant 3-0 win for Burnley. 3 nils all round. Um, I'm not sure you should be telling people what turns that is. Yeah, I'm worried that we're going to have like, people brothers? wanting pictures and <laughs> staking out turns all 28. Oops. Maybe she's giving us a false number, but it's not actually so I know. I can't really go inc- incognito either because it's just this mass amount of blonde hair just like running through the turnstile with us. And also, everyone knows you off the telly now, so that's true. That's true. <laughs> I have to say, I did have a moment on Saturday where um, I was down in Nottingham playing in a poker tournament, and they had um, the the game on on Saturday night on in the card room, and somebody, one of my friends, just nudged me, and I looked up, and my piece for BT Sport was on every single television screen across the entire card room so you know I'm, I'm i don't usually blush very often but i did this week great stuff uh kev just cut that bit out <laughs> natalie showing off my own famous shoes. no thanks, kev. <laughs> <laughs> i will probably leave it there for for this week's podcast um if you do want to get in touch please do so any comments questions feedback etc email address is podcast at net, and we are still seeking a sponsor so if you are interested or want to find out more, please email us at podcast at net. You can also tweet us at net. But that's it for this week. Thanks to Rick for sending us some lovely Heaton-related artwork that you can see on the website and on social media. Thanks to Natalie and James for joining me. I've been Jamie Smith. This has been the Norn and Ever podcast, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. And had the same, conceded a lot of goals. Hello. But made a lot of saves. Jamie, um, we lost you. Yeah, I was talking on mute, which I have a habit of doing. Excellent. Uh, I thought you bored him to death. <laughs> and now he started going, hello. I was hello. like, ah, <laughs> I'm talking on mute. Shall I maybe re-record that? Because that wasn't good enough. Because you were like, I have nothing to say to that other than silence. <laughs> oh, you could have thought that's how drunk you are, that all of a sudden you're imagining it all. Hey, no, I'm doing all right. I'm holding it together. I'm holding it together. Let's, it Let's hold it together and I will... Um, yeah, you might want to read. Carry on talking. Opinion generated. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.